Hello and welcome to Ash to Ash, your weekly cigar podcast. Pick your sticks, fix your drinks, sit back and relax with your hosts, Bill and Jeff. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ash to Ash, your cigar podcast. I'm Bill White, your host, and I'm joined tonight with my co-host, Jeff J. Rigged. How are you doing tonight, Jeff? Good, Bill. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And today we are going to be talking to and are joined by Michael Herklotz from Ferry Otago. Michael, how are we doing this evening? I'm doing just great. A lot better now that I'm with you fellows. <laughs> I'd say a lot. <laughs> Yeah, you don't know how bad it yeah. was for the first yeah. half of the day. No. There you go. He, I guess he really doesn't know us. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm, oh, I appreciate the opportunity. We're we're glad to have you on. Um, we've uh, corresponded back and forth on my Instagram account. Um, a lot of my uh, Instagram posting has been uh, a Ferry Otago, uh, basically, and most of it has been the Metropolitan line. I uh, I enjoy that, and I. Uh, I always post on Instagram when I'm at the cigar club that I belong to. And it's always one of my, uh, one of the, the, the cigars I have in my lineup when I go there and, and have a few cigars for the day. I sure appreciate so. it. And what, what club is that? I belong to the uh, Buffalo Cigar Club in Buffalo, New York. Which, which location? Orchard Park. Okay. I go to Transit Road when I'm up there. My, uh, my in-laws, <clears throat> my wife grew up in that area. So I tend to uh, camp out on transit when I'm up there. Great folks. Yeah. Yeah. I stopped in the other night and picked up a few uh, cigars on my way home. And I was telling the guys that you were going to be on there. Like, yeah, he comes in and uh, he was just here a little while back. And uh, yeah, you know, he, Thanksgiving. He I, out. I was there. Yeah. yeah, they're they're great. I was so I was so excited that they that they brought in Ferro Tego. They were supporters of, of Nat Sherman and uh, uh, they, they actually loaded up as we were going out because they had so many sort of loyal customers. And then once the brands came back, I was really excited to get back in there. Yeah. Cause I would, Oh yeah. I, I would go there and they still had some Nat Sherman's left. And uh, you know, I would have a few, you know, I would have a Nat Sherman every once in a while. And then, you know, the Ferry Otago, you know, we talked, you know, talked about that. You, you got back into that and, I was glad to see that some of the uh, Nat Sherman, uh, you know, line was going to be brought back to life. Yeah. Sorry, I just jumped right in talking about your store. I probably completely blew up your entire plan. So I'm going to shut up. Oh, no, we're letting lead this show. Normally I do that to him. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, well, every (laughs) once in a while we just go where it leads us. I mean, sometimes the best laid plans is just following where the river takes you. That's it. So, uh, so just a little bit um, from what I understand and just from, you know, just from uh, general information, Ferry Otago, from what I understand, that is on your family's coat of arms and that is your family's motto. That's right. That's right. The, uh, if, you, if you go to the, the, our website, Ferry Otago, you can see a really nice image of the, of the um, art of the full coat of arms. Um, which sounds very hoity-toity that there's a Herklotz coat of arms. Um, but 
of, of uh, Dutch and Germanic descent before the Dutch part. Um, it goes back to 1641, and it's the image that you see on the band um, of Hercules and the Hydra. There's a lot more stuff to it in the actual art of the coat of arms, but the motto Ferriotego um, loosely translates to strike and defend, and that image of Hercules famously striking the Hydra um, is, the, uh, is the logo. So it was, it was really kind of a, a fortuitous name considering what we did, um, kind of striking while the iron was hot and being able to defend those blends that we worked so hard to create, you know, for the 10 years under Nat Sherman now to stand it up under Ferry Otego. It's really very exciting. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so let's, uh, if we can, just so some of our... Uh our listeners on the podcast and those that are going to be viewing this on the YouTube channel, just a little bit of background. Um, can you take us back? I believe, was it uh, 2002 you actually really started? In, with, in the, in the industry? In, in industry, industry, yes. I officially started in 1999 in retail in Boston. Um, and that was, it, it got to be full-time by the end, but it was, you know, it was a job going to school, but I really enjoyed it. And, um, and then I moved to New York in 2002, began working for the Davidoff store on Madison Avenue. Um, and so that was, that was the most serious job, certainly, um, was 2002. But officially 1999, I've made, I've made money in the cigar business. Nice. Okay. And then um, when did you actually get involved or when did that transition happen that you got involved with Nat Sherman? Um, so quick, quick timeline. I moved in 2002 and started with Davidoff as a sales associate on the, on the floor. 2006, um, I got moved over to a second store that Davidoff had purchased and, uh, they made me the GM there in 2008. I took over both stores in New York city. And then in 2011, I joined Nat Sherman. So then Nat Sherman was 2011, through 2017 under the Sherman family. Um, January 2017, the Sherman sold the company to Altria. So then I worked for Altria leading that Sherman from 17, ultimately through um, November of 2020, which is when we finally closed. Okay. Which I suppose it, just so that doesn't sound like a complete epic failure that we closed. During the time that we were owned by Altria and Philip Morris, they, of course, are a, a huge, huge company, um, mostly focused on uh, large scale consumer goods side of the tobacco and nicotine space. Handmade premium cigars were just not core to their business. And, you know, as you all are probably intimately aware, it takes an extraordinary amount of time, effort and money to be in this industry. Um, and so if they were going to invest the time and resources, our category just couldn't return what it needed to return. I mean, it just the industry in its entirety doesn't, doesn't return uh, a number that's meaningful. So ultimately we tried to sell the business and we're substantially complete with that process. Um, and then COVID hit. So we started October of 2019 and we're almost done by March, 2020 COVID hit buyers pumped the brakes and we spent the next five months 
trying to repackage and and sell the deal differently during COVID. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, we were just unsuccessful doing that at such a terrible time. And so that's why we were sort of forced to shut down the business, which then leads us to where we are now, uh, along with the former CFO of Nat German, uh, we formed Ferry Otego and then uh, acquired the the brands that were formerly sold under Nat Sherman. So these were brands and blends, some that I had inherited when I joined Nat Sherman, like the Metropolitan that you're smoking, I believe the, the Maduro. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Metropolitan Connecticut and, and Maduro and Host were date back to the mid 1990s. So those are blends and brands that I got to kind of maintain and steward during my time at Nat Sherman. The other blends, Metropolitan Habano, um, as well as the uh, the full timeless collection, Sterling, Panamericana, Supreme, and Prestige. Um, those are blends and brands that I developed while I was working for Nat Sherman. So this was really an opportunity to to kind of reacquire my work and and uh, and offer it, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that happened in um, the end of 2020. As we closed, we were able to do that transaction. We announced. January 6th, 2021. Uh, and now here we are exactly almost two years to the day of when we announced the company. We're in market now about 14 months or so. And uh, it's just been it's just been great. Oh, good. Now, when all that happened with uh, <clears throat> Nat Sherman originally, you know, COVID hit, you guys were you know, the deals weren't weren't happening. You were packing up. Was there was there a thought then? that, you know, you were going to look at trying to, you know, save the brand or was it like down the road? You're like, you know what, let's do this or, you know, it's a, the, 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 the timeline gets a bit fuzzy for me because just so much was happening. Um, we ultimately closed the business in November, key in the door lights out. Um, but we made the decision to close in, I believe it was July. And I think we announced it in August. And so during that time, we had made the announcement. It was public that we were closing. We were publicly winding down the business. Um, and during that time, there was interest in the brands. But interestingly, when we announced that we were exploring the sale of the company, we very specifically laid out criteria on how that acquisition would work. And one of the things and I really quite appreciated it that Altria said was, we are not interested in just piecing off and selling the brands by themselves um, because they really felt strongly that the brands had such history and heritage um, that the entity belonged together and they weren't interested in just selling the brands to some highest bidder that would just do whatever they want. They, they appreciated the the story and the legacy of the brands and they wanted them to to be in a good home that's why we were so thoughtful about how we did the the ultimate transaction of the company when we failed to do that we announced that having failed to sell the company nothing was sold and nothing would be sold and we made that statement publicly that since the since the company didn't sell the brands weren't going to sell and that was going to be the end of it however once we made that announcement as I'm sure you could uh, imagine, there was a tremendous amount of interest in oh, the yeah. brands. And despite 
the fact that they had said that they weren't going to sell the brands, there was a responsibility to look at those offers. And it's a publicly traded company, right? Look mm-hmm. at the offers and really um, do some diligence. Once it was clear, though, that they were entertaining these offers, that was when the light bulb uh, went off. And it really, uh, I think I've shared it, saying it this way a few times, it was a rather emotional reaction. Um, You know, it was was really not a well thought out uh, (laughs) idea. It was really... um, when we announced that we were closing and the brands weren't selling, although very disappointing, it was also um, it was an easier thing for me to swallow because it almost felt like a death. It's something I loved, but it was gone. Mm-hmm. It was going to be gone and that's it. But then the idea that the blends and the brands and that these these entities, these bodies, this the this work could live on under someone else was terribly upsetting. And so we, I talked to Brendan, who was the CFO and we had worked so closely together trying to sell the business. uh, Well, trying to grow the business first, then trying to sell the Mm -hmm. business, then close the business um, that when it became apparent that there were offers, um, he was as passionate and adamant as I was that if there's an opportunity to scoop these brands up, Let's do it. So we engaged Altria. Um, we became just another party. You know, it was a very, it was very bizarre because we'd worked so close with these people. And now we were no longer part of the process. We were now in the pool of buyers. Um, but we, we were very fortunate. Altria said um, that they reviewed the offers. We weren't the highest. We weren't the lowest. Um, but that ultimately we were the right we were the right people to carry on the work and they worked with us to, um, to set a timeline so that we could close and get everything done before uh, ultimately we closed the business. And, uh, and it was, you know, it was, it was fortuitous that, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's the age old one door closes another opens. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a rather expensive door, but Hey, here we are and we have it and off we go. Oh, and then like an emotional and, roller coaster. It really, you know, it really was, <laughs> but it was also it's thrilling. I mean, it's it is so thrilling to um, to author the work. You know, doing it the first time was kind of like being a ghostwriter, but that was the job. So it's not yeah. like uh, not like I didn't get credit for it. I, I got credit where credit was due, but it also wasn't my brand, right? Yeah. So that's just that's what the job is, but. To, to now be a, a co-owner of a small family business in an industry that the bedrock is small family businesses. Um, it's a pretty awesome thing after, after whatever at the time, 20 years in the industry to now be an owner, to be a principal and a stakeholder and not just an employee is a very, very cool um, uh, milestone, I suppose. I mean, going back to like your whole timeline and how condensed it was, like it was such a short span when all this kind of took place that I never really read too much into it. And I kind of just thought like this was how it was planned out to begin with. When you kind of emerged with fear. And so now hearing this whole thing, it kind of changes the perspective of it for me. Bro, there was no plan. I mean, my plan (laughs) 
was going to be to start Ferry Otego as a small little boutique with Elegancia and Generoso and slow roll this idea of a very small batch to blend inspired by wine concept. Because I knew I could, I could fig, I could bang on enough doors and figure out how to start selling some cigars to make a little money and, and start a business. When we bought the brands, what I, I think we probably did not entirely appreciate at the time that we did it was that we were also acquiring uh, an enterprise level of, of brand history. And so now it wasn't slow rolling two blends. Now we had to prop up and re-deliver nine blends in 42 SKUs is what we opened with across the, the uh, five metropolitan, four timeless. I mean, people have been smoking these cigars for 20 years and now they wanted them back. And we had no idea how we were going to sell and not even sell like how to, tra- like how to actually warehouse and transact, you know, now we needed representation and a warehouse and like all this stuff that we didn't even contemplate. Um, but once again, you know, uh, we were very lucky. We, we had a lot of people reach out and offer help and, and um, you know, as this industry does, you know, they, every people just reached out and said, look, if there's a fit, if there's something we can do to help, let's talk about it and explore it and see if there's an option. And one of those was Davidoff, who was already a manufacturing partner for us, um, for our host blend in Honduras. And through those conversations, we ended up being able to do a deal where we're embedded into the Davidoff portfolio. And now we're represented throughout the United States by the Davidoff USA sales team. Nice. So we so we were able to, you know, rather quickly um, reestablish a, a market presence with those with those brands and blends and restore them back to humidors. Yeah, man, because that, that could have went terribly wrong. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> there was there was a lot of, uh, and don't forget, we did all this in starting in November of 2020 and throughout the first eight months of 2021, when most of the country was still largely locked down, the Dominican Republic was still locked down, Nicaragua was still locked down, and consumption was an all-time high. So it's not like all the factories were desperate for our production to come back. There was no capacity in any of the factories because everyone had fewer people and higher demand, but yet we still were in market by October. And the only way that happens is because every one of our manufacturing partners believed in what we were doing so much that they put us in the front of the line and delivered our product fully. We had everything in the warehouse in Florida by September. That's crazy. Well, well that, that goes back to, uh, is it Altria who sold, sold the business uh-huh. to you? Where, like they said, you know, they believed you guys were the perfect fit. And everybody in the industry obviously saw the same thing because why wouldn't you want the two guys that were already representing and doing everything in the background why not right. they do the perfect fit to carry on the legacy? Right. Right. And Very another, exciting stuff. And another if anybody thing, else, they would have been like, ah, screw him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, another thing too, unless you're involved in some way with the with the industry, whether you're a consumer, 
you know, or, or, or a principal or an owner, a lot of people don't understand outside of the leaf community, how tight knit the community is. Oh yeah. Um, and, you know, we see that dealing with, you know, with the, with the brand that we ambassador with, um, we'll come on and we'll talk to people that represent other brands. Which, by and, the way, say the name because they're a great brand. Yeah, and yeah, to, Macau, to, to your point, yeah. uh, we are equally supportive. I've been on um, their, their Off the record as a as a guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're doing a hell of a great job they're, They've got um, they've got some Nat Sherman alumni in their sales. Uh, yep. Org. Mm-hmm. So I think they're, they're what a tremendous job yeah. they're doing. But uh, absolutely. We've had that. Uh, we've had a couple people on the ambassadors lounge that we do. It's sort of like a, a herf on steroids for our ambassadors uh, out there. And a couple of the, uh, you know, representatives from different companies, you know, wanted to make sure, is this okay? Because this is this company. I'm like, what do you mean? Is it okay? The president of the company smokes more than just that brand. The owner smokes more than that brand. Everybody smokes more than that brand. Mm-hmm. Um, if that was the case where, uh, you know, you would just smoke your, your cigar and your line, then you're not really out there living and, and finding out what there is out there in, you know, in, in the enjoyment of the cigar. Yeah. That's just like, you just eat salad every day because you grow produce, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, how, how do you know what you like unless you're willing to actually try everything else around? It's funny. I, you know, I see it in the wine world a lot. You know, there's such a, a kinship and I think it has to do with, because if you look at the opposites, if you look at big tobacco, big alcohol, big consumer good, they are restricted from having that level of camaraderie. I mean, it's, it's antitrust. It's, it's illegal in some cases to have two senior people from two separate companies in the same room at the same time. There's laws that prohibit it. And yet for us, and the wine business is largely the same, particularly in the in the privately owned and smaller, more boutique craft level businesses, they're drinking each other's stuff all the time, visiting each other's wineries. There's no secrets. Come on over. You need help. I'll help you. Taste this wine. What can I do better? Taste this cigar. Taste this blend. You know, that's stuff that we do all the time. And and I think it's I think we're a much better industry for it. Yeah. But, you know, worst case scenario, if this, uh, you know, the Ferry Otago didn't actually work out as well as it's doing right now, you know, you always have something to fall back on as the uh, the co-host of the uh, uh, the Great Smoke every year with, uh, you know, (laughs) we might have to change the budget if that's the case. If that's my fallback, tell them you want wardrobe and hair and makeup the whole nine yards. I'm not giving them any wardrobe privileges anymore after they did get me in a Hawaiian shirt yeah, last, last year. year. This year, I think I'm going to take a little more uh, ownership of my Mardi Gras uh, outfit. Yeah, who knows, what what a, who knows what they'll make you do for beads this, this year? Oh, Lord. <laughs> it's such a great event. I mean, it really, it's in person, obviously, is extraordinary, but um, even the, the, the virtual is so engaging. There's so much going on. It really, you feel like you're part of it, even if you're not 
in Florida when you're sitting at home and following along. And I'll tell you what, if you were there in person, you have to go back and watch the virtual because it's a completely different event. You know, there's other interviews that people don't see when they're on the floor. Uh, they got correspondence on the ground. So it's really such a well-planned oiled machine at this point. Um, it's a lot of fun to co-host. I'm excited I get to do it again. Yeah, this will yeah, be my third year as virtual. It's yeah, great. I was there last year. It was a great time. Are you I'll going? Be there again. Yeah, I'll be there this year as well. So we're hosting the uh, Friday night Red yeah. Meat Lovers Club dinner. I got, I got tickets for that as well. Oh, good, man. Let me tell you, the, the cigar we made for that dinner and for the exclusive is killer. I think we're actually, I'm working with Abe right now. We're going to do a, uh, uh, one of his Saturday KMA shows and, and do a little reveal of the, of the cigar. Nice. Look forward to it. Nice. But yeah, I was, nice. I, was, I was also looking forward to the fact that, you know, that, that dinner is actually on St. Patty's Day. Isn't that crazy? Well, you get your dispensation. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's going to be wild. It is going to be wild. Yeah, this will be my third year virtual. Just the fact for right now, my work schedule. Yeah. Um, it just kind of every once in a while, kind of hard to fit around, you know, that. But hey, let me tell you what, doing virtual, it's still a good deal. You Oh, I mean, the, the value notwithstanding, it's an unbelievable deal. But then you add to that the, the value of the, of the production and the fun and, the, mm-hmm. and, you know, all the feedback I've gotten says it's, as it's a blast doing it virtually. And we try to have yeah. fun doing it. Right. I might actually have to go back and uh, watch the virtual. The part that I like oh, about great. going on. Part I like about going down there is the part that nobody sees, and that's all the pre-parties and the after-parties. Oh, it's 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 a blast! It is a blast. So, is there anything you can uh, allude to tonight of something we can look forward to with Ferry Ortego? Yeah, we've got um, without giving too much away. Uh, I am working on some blends. Um, well, first things first, we are doing uh, another round of TAA. So that TAA, we, we debuted in 2020. And then, uh, excuse me, 20, yeah, 2020. But the last project I did under uh, Nat Sherman. Um, so we just did one as 2022. And we will do it 2023. We've increased production a touch on that, but that's a Nicaraguan Puro. Um, I've been told it is the least Herklotz Herklotz blend most people have tasted. I still think it's a Herklotz style blend, but it is definitely pushing the um, strength and heft department. Um, but I, but s- strength and body notwithstanding, it is still complex and balanced. And that that is my style. Um, but we are working on um, on a blend that I would like to roll out as a as a new line. I won't go deeper than that, but that's uh, that's in the works. Nice. Um, and we're also going to do some size extensions. I've been promising. You know, when we launched, we launched in all of the proven winning sizes. And as a cigar dork, I love the sizes that don't sell. I mean, you know, I love elegant. <laughs> 
more graceful sizes. Um, so, you know, a, a 46 and a 48 and a 50, I enjoy, but I love 38s and 42s and, and shapes. Uh, and so we are going to do uh, a small, we're going to reintroduce some sizes um, that were important to me before. We're going to bring them back now that we have some volume and we're established. So they certainly, I don't expect them to be major volume contributors, but I think they're formats that are important to offer. Well, yeah, I mean, the smaller the ring gauge, the more flavor you get from the wrapper. So it's just, it's just. The more, I'm going to change that statement. All right. The more influential the wrapper is, but it depends yes. on what the wrapper is. Yes. So a Lancero with a Connecticut shade or Ecuador, Connecticut, there's no real meaningful flavor contribution of that wrapper. And in fact, yes. it can it can sometimes be the alternative. It's so Connecticut specific, not Ecuador, but Connecticut can be so drying and astringent that it can actually be unpalatable in a small ring gauge. Um, but yes, you're absolutely right especially oilier, thicker, more flavor forward wrappers in a narrower ring gauge, buckle up. Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not much of a Connecticut guy, so I usually shy away for the most part. And that's, you know, I know lately I've, I've smoked a lot of Connecticut's and I've caught a lot of crap on social media from some people. Oh, I thought you don't like Connecticut's. It's like, you know, not for nothing. You do have to go back and try it. <laughs> now you're, you're smoking the, the Generoso. Did you have yeah. the Elegancia? Yes. It was, it was good. It was it was it was a good scar, very well built. It just wasn't. Um, I just I haven't had one in a while, so I don't want to sit there and reach for an answer here. No, I was just curious. And, I find that but, um, I find it to have an um, an abnormally full body. Still has all of the classic flavors that shade wrap cigars should, but yeah. there is there is some Lajero from Nicaragua in that blend to yeah. give it presence yeah like i said i have to i'd have to go back and uh grab grab a couple more Just, yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of in my i go through a cycle so even if i've had cigars in the past that i wasn't really keen on i still will go back and revisit them like, that's important like six months later to kind of see what what it was maybe it was just something i was drinking that day what i ate that day you know because a lot of times you'll get feedback that this cigar is great and i'm like ah, i really didn't like it but you know let me go back and check it out again Time and place is so important. You know, it really can change. Um, and, and frankly, once in a while, a, a cigar is off. I mean, the, the crazy thing about a cigar, and I've really been thinking about this, when you make wine or beer or whiskey, or you make it in a run, you make it in a batch, you know, and it's very difficult for that, for a bottle, let's say, with the exception of wine using a cork, but very, I don't know how it would happen where a bottle would be bad out of a batch. You know, either the batch is good or the batch isn't. But every single one of these is assembled and made from scratch by the discretion of two people. You know, that's bonkers when you think about the, the, the level of consistency that we achieve when each one is assembled from scratch and put together one by one, it's just, it's staggering that, that there can be so much consistency. So once in a while, you know, one can get thrown off. It just, it's a reminder of just how, uh, how special this process is. 
Yeah, absolutely. If, you know, and then, then, you know, you know, piggybacking on that, that, you know, comment, you, you get a lot of people out there that, you know, they have that one, that one bad cigar and all of a sudden it's like, oh, the whole brand sucks. And it's like, dude, it was one cigar. You know, that's a, <laughs> that's a real challenge. The idea that, that one bad experience can turn somebody off of a brand can cast that wide a net, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but it's the reality. I mean, it really, it's yeah. not, it's, I don't want to say it's not fair, but it doesn't feel particularly fair when you sit on this side of the table, I'll tell mm-hmm. you. Um, but that's why we spend so much time trying to preserve that consistency and quality cigar after cigar after cigar um, for exactly that reason. The risk is so high that one person can have one poor experience and have that experience represent the entirety of our brand. That is really scary. And I guess in, in a way, it's it's almost good that you know we have such a such a huge you know uh, influence with uh, with social media because as soon as you get that one person that does complain about that one cigar, it's not like back in the day where it would be like a closed setting in a lounge and a person say, "Oh, this cigar was horrible," and then everybody in that lounge thinks it's you know, "Oh my God, that's crap." Now with social media, you have people coming and going, what are you talking about, dude? You'll put it down, get another one. Yes. Uh, But, you know, it also depends on uh, which echo chamber you're you're yelling in, you know? Uh, And I've been on all sides of that. Uh, You know, there were, when, when you start to get that rallying, that negative rallying cry, Man, that is a that is a tough snowball to stop, bro. That's really, really yeah, difficult. Can you imagine, <laughs> because people are looking for that social permission. You know, I mean, if you if you look at the way these things go, people inevitably post and engage the things that are the most likely to get the most likes, and you know, even brands that people love, if they don't have the social permission to brag about them, they tend not to. And I'll give you an example. I had a, there's, there's you know, I'm in 10,000 Facebook groups and one of them, somebody posted a picture of smoke. I think it was a, a Supreme, might've been a Prestige, uh, but posted a photo. It was the first time I saw a time was posted in this group. And I, I wrote in the comments, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the support. About 10 minutes, 20 minutes later, somebody posted a photo of a timeless and his comment was i had one last week i loved it and posted it in the thread and that's when i realized well i asked myself the question why didn't you post it last week but it's Mm -hmm. because that person didn't think they had the social permission within that group where they would get the the rah-rahs and the accolades and the likes and the comments and the engagement but once somebody did it and people saw the engagement today. I see timeless on that on that group all the time. So it's not that people aren't enjoying it. People are just afraid to brag about things they love. They don't have the social permission to do it. And it happens on the favorable side, and it also happens on the negative side. Um, and so you know, it's a it's a challenging challenging environment to build a business. I'll tell you, but hell of a lot of fun <laughs> trying to figure it out. 
I mean, I've been on the other side of posting cigars. I post just about everything I smoke. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've had lynch mobs after me. And uh, I've had people you know, agreeing with me. <laughs> but it's such a silly thing. You know, I mean, I, I'm posting what I like. And you post what you like. And if I'm not interested, why would I bash you? You know, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Like you you've spent your money. You've made a, a, a an informed decision on what you want to enjoy that's meaningful to you. What what right does someone have to to attack your decision? It's so ridiculous, but it's everything. Yeah. I mean, I've even had cigars I've smoked where people have, you know, reached out in the comments and said, hey, what'd you think of that? And I would say, honestly, you know, it wasn't for me. It wasn't my palate, but, you know, you should go try it yourself. That's like, great. I'm not, I don't like to shit on brands because to me, that's, right. that's just horrible. That's just a horrible way to go about things. Well, and and I think that's also, it speaks to what we just said a few minutes ago, which is just because you like it doesn't mean it's great. You know, if I, if, if I'm a vegetarian, I don't like steak. Not that it's not a great steak. I just don't like it. You know, I mean, that's both of those right. things can be true. Mm -hmm. Well, not only that, your taste, you know, might be something different, you know. Uh, whether it's uh, the blends or, you know, you might not like a Maduro or like Jeff said, he's not particularly uh, to, to Connecticut. Right. So you might say, hey, this is a fire. This is this this stick is fire for me. And uh, Jeff might try it and say, you know, it really didn't uh, it didn't do anything for me because it wasn't in my wheelhouse. And I don't it, you know, didn't didn't really do anything for me because I'm not partial to this. Or, or Where whatever. I think that is so um, evident, it's it's a, it's an easy illustration of the of the idea is within the Scotch world. There are people that like Isla whiskeys that are smoky and peaty, and and then there are people that don't. And there are there are real connoisseurs of Scotch that can appreciate up and down. But for those that just don't like the Isla style, they will never say it's bad whiskey. They it, it just doesn't appeal to them. You know, they they just don't like that flavor at all. But then for the for the peatheads out there that absolutely live and swear by that style uh it's the only style they drink right i mean that's the only mm -hmm. real scotch whiskey is isla but it's interesting that such a defining flavor can 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 either make you for or against it but at least in the whiskey world you're not against each other you know what i mean there's a there's yeah. a mute there's a there's a a shared admiration for the larger category and craft. And if that one particular style doesn't appeal to you, Hey, no sweat. Everyone understands it. Yeah, absolutely. So Ferry Otago right now, how many or what areas or how many markets are you guys in? Well, I mentioned earlier, we're distributed by Davidoff USA. And so that um, has proven to be really a, a remarkable relationship so we were we were basically um, national starting day one um, when we rolled out Elegancia and Generoso 2021 Ferio Tego and Timeless Prestige and Sterling um, within the first week I want to say we were in somewhere around three or four hundred stores so that was a a remarkable um, remarkable first week of business. Today, as we sit here 14 months in, um, we're in about 1,000 stores around the country. 
Um, there are a few states I think that we are not in, um, but that's really largely because there's just not a big presence of retailers in those markets. Mm -hmm. But uh, we are arguably in every major market in the United States and also every major channel in the United States. So we're sold um, not only in brick and mortar stores, of course, but in the major uh, e-commerce and larger box stores. Um, but one thing I would point out is we are 100% price protected. So regardless of where you purchase Ferriotego, the Ferriotego flagship brands and the Timeless Collection are all entirely price protected at MSRP. And the Metropolitan, we do allow for a 10% discount, advertised discount. Um, so it's a it's a as fair a playing field as one could have, uh, but fortunately we're in every major market. We're in uh, a lot of the major liquor stores that have uh, that have humidors. Total Wine, for example, has become a great partner. Um, so we're we're very fortunate to have been able to get a presence in every every major channel. Now, out of all the uh, the lines you guys have, Timeless and Metropolitan and 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 speaking as, if you if you will, the father of all the of all the children in in the Ferry Ortega world. Do you have a favorite? It is the. Or hardest, do you treat them all equally? <laughs> it's the hardest question to answer. Um, and let me give you a little historical perspective. When as I was developing the blends under Nat Sherman. The prestige, timeless prestige, always held a uh, a very special place in my heart because it was the first blend I did for the company, uh, and so much like my firstborn, it was the one that made me a dad, and and so there's something very special about that. Not that I don't love my other daughter; I love my other daughter as much as the first, but you can't ignore the firstborn as something that is that is extraordinary. Um, and so Timeless Prestige holds that firstborn feeling for me. Um, now, on the flip side of that, I felt less in love with Metropolitan because I inherited that, particularly Connecticut, Maduro, and Host. I took it seriously. We, we, we made sure they were great. Um, but I felt less connection to those because I felt like they, they weren't mine. Um, so love them nonetheless. It was just a different feeling of affection towards those. It's interesting how that affection has changed now that we, we brought them all back from scratch. And to the extent that we, we re-blended everything um, to taste the same, through that process, I have a I have a renewed affection for some of those real legacy blends uh, because it was so important to get them right in this process that I have a newfound love and affection for the Connecticut Maduro and Host. Um, but I also I can't ignore um, how meaningful the Ferriotego brand is to me, and so Elegancia and Generoso. Um, I've, I've described them as my best work. Um, at the time that we created those blends, 
Now I'm proud of the timeless 10 years and I've, I'm proud of some of the stuff that we've done since as well. But bringing Elegancia and Generoso to market in 2021, those two completely different experiences, um, seeing my family represented on a band uh, and seeing that come to life, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a hard thing to, to put into words. So, um, you know, I, I would hate to use the word favorite, but uh, to see to see that blue and gold band uh, in a store, in photos, to see people love that is a is is a pretty remarkable thing, and it's something that I that I never felt before. So you know, I've seen people enjoy this before. I've seen people post photos of this before. The fact that it says Ferriotego makes me love it a bit more, of course. Um, but to see the Ferriotego brand, Hercules, Hydra, the blue and gold, that is, words can't describe that part. And I love the blends. I love the Elegancia. I love the Generoso. They're so completely different. But I think they both really, um, they are the best of their respective styles. Okay. Fair enough. Pretty fair statement. <laughs> so if you had an opportunity to go back in time, when you first started in the industry, working in, in that, you know, in the shop, um, starting to, you know, make your way through the same path, a different path or where would you be today if, if you took a different path down Michael Herklot did something different than what he did when he started I uh, I'm a I'm a Christian I believe that there is a a plan that is outside of of my control and understanding. Um, I don't make decisions lightly in general, even something as simple as taking a part-time job. Um, so I tend to be very thoughtful when it comes to making a big decision and look at the pros and cons and think hard, is this something I want to do? And will I commit to it? Because I'm not a, I'm not a mover. I don't bounce. If I'm going to commit, I commit even something as silly as a part-time college job. Um, and so as I, as I look back over the, the chapters of my, of my career, you know, I don't have, I have a lot of steps, but I don't have a lot of entities when you look at the arc of my career. And a lot of that is, is just because of, of the, the overall sense of kind of loyalty and appreciation I always had for folks that believed in me and gave me the opportunity. Um, so I, I don't think there is anything, I don't think there's, there's a major decision that I would have made differently. Um, the only thing, you know, hindsight being 2020, I made the same mistake every young person makes when they get the opportunity to, to enter this industry as a young person, which is, um, talk more and listen less and try and demonstrate expertise at a time when it hasn't been earned. 
but that is that's the mistake young people make and you know where i feel so fortunate is to have been surrounded by um by older established folks who were honest enough to tell me to shut up and listen you know not enough people say that especially not in 2022 and 2023 but it's really um to have someone say look you are a smart young man but there is so much more for you to learn you don't have to don't prove your worth by trying to share the little that you know. Listen and learn. And uh, for me, that was, I mean, I was lucky enough to have a lot of mentors, but certainly the biggest um, and still is Manuel Casada. And uh, I remember very specifically, we were in Las Vegas at a trade show and he invited me to have a drink uh, after the show it was late and we were in one of the bars and it was Manolo and Benji Menendez. And I think maybe Frank Seltzer, a lot of real old school industry, heavy hitters, Daniel Nunez. I mean, these are the, the OG real guys whose families came over and started over kind of folks. Um, and at one point, and they were gracious enough to speak English for this conversation just so I could be a part of it, which I didn't realize just how, how thoughtful that was. But of course, in every moment I had the opportunity to insert an opinion, I did. And Manolo would give me this knee onto the table every time I'd say something. And then finally, Manolo leans over and he says, son, shut the fuck up and listen. And that was it. And, I, and that's exactly what I did. And I was so appreciative that he said it. And early in the conversation, he said it because afterwards he told me that all three of those guys said, what a nice young man that it, that guy is. And only because I stopped talking, you know, uh, and now I'm an old man and I see how obnoxious it is when young people do that. And, uh, and so I hope I can be as brave and gracious as Manolo and those folks were to thoughtfully and graciously, but honestly tell people, you know, you're smart and, and uh, sit back and listen, you know, and learn. Because the, the more you learn really of anything, but certainly in this business, which changes every year and every crop and every, you know, everything changes every day. Mm -hmm. There is an inability to truly be an expert when everything keeps changing. You can be experienced, but I don't really believe there is a there is a genuine opportunity to be an expert uh, because of the way things change. And if you ask any of the greats, they would never use words like master blender, never use words like experts. Uh, they feel proud and privileged to be able to make a living in such a difficult and unique industry. That was a yeah. very long answer to what wasn't the initial question, but I mean, that, 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 was, okay. that was perfect. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've been on the other side where like, you know, when I first got into smoking cigars, I, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, it was a couple of people that I knew that smoked cigars on the job side. Like, Hey, have a cigar. And I was trying to learn as much as I could at the time. 
but it was hard. It was, you know, we're going back to like 2003, 2004. So you really couldn't find a lot of answers because the, the pool of people that I was talking to was so small. And then, you know, over the years, as I started to become a little more experienced and, you know, my palate started to develop and I started to actually be able to taste certain things in cigars. And now I look back at those, those moments with, with just that core group and realize just how full of shit they were. <laughs> because, because here I'm sitting there going, wow, they're tasting this, they're tasting this. Now going back, revisiting certain cigars, being like, how the hell are you tasting that? You know, I, there is being able to describe flavors and experiences using words that manufacturers don't is important because it's what it's what defines one experience from another experience. If you ask the manufacturers what they're supposed to taste. Every cigar would taste exactly the same. It tastes like tobacco. It tastes, you know, that mm-hmm. like generally in the in the manufacturing process, the, the words you use are are so much more limited, and and you're paying more attention to behavior and structure than you are about the specific nuances and splitting hairs one from another. It's it is really the duty and responsibility of reviewers, of consumers, of media, of uh, those folks retailers especially to use words to define this silly thing in a way that that can explain to a to a level that is um relatable what the difference is so it'd be no difference than if if coca-cola is cola and pepsi is cola and cola is the category coke and pepsi aren't going to go out of their way to explain why they're different they're just going to say one is better but it we have to use words that they didn't intend us to use in order to explain why one might be different than the other. Um, so I think there is something to be said for being able to do it thoughtfully, but there's a difference between doing it thoughtfully for the purposes of being able to either help someone make a decision or to help you make a better decision next time versus just the theatrics of you know, I taste roasted turkey and cereal and you don't. Ha ha, my palate's better. That's, you know, that's well, unfortunate. That goes, that, that goes into like I was, you know, I'll probably get back into reviewing cigars again. But a while back, I was, you know, taking notes and doing my own little reviews. And I would start reading reviews of other people. And I would see like this laundry list of freaking flavor notes. And I'm like, you know, I'm happy I got like three or four notes. I'm like, this guy's got a list of like 20 items. Well, here's and the I'm point. thinking, that's impressive. You, you have to really be able to establish <laughs> why the notes are important. And as a consumer, I keep diligent notes. First, on, on the cigar side, I keep diligent notes about our blends because I have to keep them the same. So I use words that I would never use publicly but I use words that I that are relatable to me. So when we're reblending again for another production, those are sort of the, the, the key elements that I'm looking for to make sure that they're consistent. Um, but there is this, it, there is a need for people to be self, um, self-assessed experts. And social media really fuels that. People want to be perceived as the go-to, as the expert, as the authority. And, you know, at the end of the day, man, we're all consumers. 
and I said on a on a on a show a few months ago um, with the JR team, we're in a culture where everyone is zooming in to this to the finest level of detail, and the reality is that detail is really worthless for your knowledge as a consumer and to be a better consumer. And so it's so much better to zoom out and to just cut it and light it, taste it, do you like it or not, and why? And record your thoughts at that level, just the why. And that's all you need. And then you can learn from that. You know, you mm-hmm. can you can start finding where those commonalities are. If you have three cigars and all three of them you didn't like for the same reasons, then you can dig a little deeper and say, oh. I'll be damned. These both use a Connecticut shade wrapper. It turns out I don't like Connecticut shade. Now you've been able to apply your tasting and your notes to learning, and that helps you make better decisions. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Agree more. <laughs> I was just touching on the fact that I've seen like laundry lists of notes that I just sit there and go, mm-hmm. okay, you really took your time. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> Even this, even this, this now style of reviewing in thirds, you know, this flavor comes in and this flavor comes out and this flavor goes away and whatever. I mean, of course, every cigar, and particularly my blends, I I love the the story a cigar can tell from start to finish and the way it develops. But even I don't memorialize the thirds. I mean, that's, you know, some of those stories are incredible when people are describing, you know, an hour's worth of smoking with 42 different flavors that come and go throughout the arc of this thing. It's like, holy shit, I had no idea there were peanuts in there, you know? Well, I fell into that same trap with the thirds for a while there, where I actually had to go back and like rethink of it, you know, rethink the whole process. Where it's and not there's nothing wrong thirds. with it. No, it's not wrong with it, but it, you know, when you think about it, it's like you said, it's the story of the cigar from start to finish. It's not really seg- it's not segmented. It's not like it has little notches on it. Well, like you smoke and go, okay, we're at this notch now. Ooh, it's going to change. What do we have next? Well, you and I think, go I think what's, what's more thoughtful is you mark when there is a change. Yes. So if you're smoking a cigar and you, and you have no significantly discernible development in the second, third, well, who cares? And there's nothing to write about. You already wrote about it. You know, you've already yeah. you've already recorded the notes. If at some point you have that magic moment where you take two or three puffs and all of a sudden, whoa, something just happened here. Then you can, I think, record that, you know, at about three inches in. Yeah. Something really changed and it took on this new this new thing. You know, now we're telling a story just no different than a play. Right. You have scenes and you have acts mm-hmm. and you have all those different things. Exactly. Right, exactly. It's, it's like you know, it's like comparing a drama to just a a hardcore shooting film, you know. <laughs> exactly. And then, if you look, also you have, you know, you have uh, a lot of the population out there that uh, that enjoys a cigar. A lot of the times, they're just out there to enjoy the cigar. They don't care of if they're course. if they're they don't care if they're they're detecting graham cracker or uh peanuts or or dark chocolate all they know is at the end of the day they're sitting there with their favorite drink after a hard day they're lighting up a cigar it's not harsh you know it's 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 relaxing and and they could give a they can give two two flips if they if they 
taste lavender or whatever they're going to taste. All they know is that it was a great relaxation. It was a great smoke. The cigar maintained itself. It wasn't a harsh, you know, it was something they enjoyed. And for a lot of those folks, it's also something that's familiar. It's a brand they love that they go to, that they depend on. No different than you're enjoying that Metropolitan. Mm -hmm. People have loved that brand and blend for almost 30 years because not just because it's great, but because it makes them feel good when they see it. You know, the band and the brand changes the way you feel is why some people drive what they drive or some people drink what they drink. It's not just that it's dependable, but they love the brand. The brand means something to their life. And that's, that's one of those things that is just so difficult to measure and to quantify and to create is that that true brand affection um but it's certainly something that we're working really hard to do with timeless and certainly with ferio metropolitan of course some of that pre-exists but just that when you see it you already love it you know that's a that's a big goal of mine is to continue to establish that level of it's some it's some combination of love and affection and also trust you know it's it's a relationship at the end of the day right it's a it's a relationship with the brand okay uh another question for you uh looking ahead and what we've had went through you know we had covid and you know, a lot of a lot of guys are talking, uh, you know, the pundits are talking about, you know, we had the boom. The boom is over. We're, we're you know, we're, we're looking at, uh, you know, le- either leveling off or dropping off the cliff. Where do you see the industry coming up? Um, I know there's been a lot of wins for the industry. Uh, engage with the alphabet soup out there. Um, you know, where do you see the industry five, 10 years from now? Do you think it's we're going to hit another another boom? Are we going to have, you know, I know there was a lot of uh, companies talking about, you know, during COVID, they did bigger numbers than they did in the two years prior. And it was a lot to do with, you know, you're stuck in your house. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Mail order, bring it all in. I'm going to sit on the front porch or I'm going to sit in the basement. I'm going to sit in the garage and I'm just going to smoke cigars and whatever, because I got this income coming in. Uh, either I'm working remotely or, you know, I'm unemployed right now and I got stimulus or whatever, but I have this disposable income and I want to feel good about what's going on right now because right now we're, somebody put us all in the bottle and they shook it up and we're all just spinning around. COVID was remarkable for our industry. And if you, I don't know that there is a, a chart that would show it, but the, the, the first three months, March, April, May, were brutal for the business because it was a respiratory disease that no one knew anything about. And so you had a fear factor related to cigars. Then you also had people whose um, behavior of consumption that pattern was dramatically altered. The shop they went to was closed. The lounge they went to, they're not working in that city because they're home. 
And so those first three months was a dramatic off the cliff drop. It was scary. But then you had this emergence of good weather in the, in the Northeast and Midwest as things warmed up. And in these larger metropolitan areas, you had no return to work. And so you've got people who are home to your point with more money, either because they're getting stimulus or they're saving from, from commute or from buying lunch when they're in the office or whatever. And so people had extra money and they spent it starting that spring. And it continued to skyrocket from that spring really up and until um, the gas price went, went through the roof. That was the first moment from a, from, a, from a retail standpoint that I heard people starting to trade back down, uh, even as people returned to work. Because one of the things that really is interesting that changed is after the, May, after the June, July, August, September occurred and everyone was working outside, smoking outside, smoking a few cigars a day, then it got colder. So I could, I could count on one hand the number of people I knew in my neighborhood who had heaters, fire pits, and other, other or man caves, whatever. Uh, there were not many of them. But through those first six months of COVID, especially the summer leading into the fall of uh, 20, well, now people are starting to enjoy smoking cigars at home. And so there was a real investment of people to find ways to continue to enjoy their favorite hobby at home. And now you have the reemergence of return to work, stores reopening. And so there was a, a, res a restoration of normalcy of their behavioral patterns of when they consumed historically, stop at the shop at lunch, go to the lounge three days a week. But then they continue to enjoy at home, which didn't happen before. And so there's an increased opportunity of consumption. The pullback I think we see today is a result of less time because of more return to work. So less opportunities uh, to burn, let's say throughout the day where they were enjoying more throughout the day before. And some degree of pullback just related to the economic overall increase, inflation, cost of things or more. Um, but as you look at this theoretical leveling off, even with a, with a slight drop, it's, it's the classic, it's not the curve of zero, or let's say 10 to 50 to 10 to 50 to 10 to 50. It's not that equal curve. If you look at the arc of our industry going back to the 90s with the first major boom, it was a huge spike that came down and plateaued significantly higher than where that started. And then another spike, and that came down and plateaued significantly higher than that spike began. And now this COVID um, leveling off post-COVID is still markedly higher as a total industry volume standpoint versus uh, 2018. So I'm just from a sheer volume standpoint, I'm very confident that we're going to continue to, to maintain a pretty high volume. And I think we'll start to see that grow again, because you can't ignore how many people discovered the hobby while they were locked down. 
And so there's a whole new class of cigar enthusiasts that right now are doing what we did 20 years ago. They're, they're just getting started. You know, they're, now they're, now they've got a, their first cabinet that they finally bought. They fell in love during COVID. They got a humidor during COVID. They got some cigars during COVID. Now they've got some expertise. Now they've been talking on Facebook. They've been influenced on Instagram and now they're ready to get serious and start bragging. And I, I think you're going to see some, some increased volume. Now, the flip side of that is the alphabet soup that you referenced. And um, it, I believe that we are looking at, um, at a period of what I hope will be um, reasonability. Is that a word? Uh, we, we, we lived at a time of just constant unknown. We didn't know when they were going to regulate. Then we didn't know what option they were going to pick. Then they picked the worst option, but they didn't know how they were going to regulate using that option. Then they finally implemented rules, but we had no idea how to comply with those rules. Then we had deadlines with restrictions that kept getting pushed back. And so we lived with these restrictions that were law, even though there was no enforcement. Uh, and so it was just a constant state of, of um, unease. Now we finally have some degree of of certainty when it comes to some of this stuff. And so that's allowing people to plan thoughtfully when for years we couldn't plan thoughtfully um, because you didn't know if you had to put warning labels on your packaging. And if you do, that changes everything. So now that we know warning labels gone, we know that um, that this judge meta um, has been very reasonable in looking at the our industry, what makes it unique at Alphabet Soup and the way they approached the process. And he has thoughtfully said that they didn't do what they should have done and what they admitted that they were supposed to do, which is consider the fact that we're different. They considered it and then ignored it. And you can't do both. Um, and so I, I think we are going to start to get more and more certainty um, within our industry, which will only help our industry to become stronger. And with that certainty, hopefully, will also come a bit more cohesion, because once there is certainty and there are answers, there's also less things to argue about. And, you know, we're largely aligned as a business, as an industry. But there are some factions that are arguing about certain things here, certain things there, flavors, uh, premium definitions, those types of things. And depending on where your interests lie, that's creating opportunities for disagreement. Uh, what I hope is that as some of this certainty continues to be established, that also kind of will hopefully put to bed some of the arguments and allow us just to be more aligned on the things we're aligned with. Yeah. So I'm listen, I wouldn't have established a company and bought these brands and you know, Brendan and I wouldn't have gone all in if we thought there was not a very bright future ahead for the industry and for us as a company. Yeah. I, I could definitely so yeah, no nobody wants to do a knee-jerk reaction. Right. 
<laughs> well, I tell you, I selfishly want to say I'm glad you guys did what you did. I appreciate that. And honestly, that that feedback, that comment is some of the most meaningful because it's a blend that you already loved. Mm-hmm. And so when people say things like, we are so glad you brought it back. We're so glad, you know, you kept it, you protected it, you saved it. That to me is, is really amazing. It's for, for Metropolitan, it's obviously very meaningful because it's something that we protected for so long. But even for Timeless, you know, as an artist, I'm, I'm a musician. So you, you create things that you hope people enjoy, but you don't get to see every time someone listens to your album, right? You don't see right. every face in the crowd when you play a show. You hear some applause, you hope everyone liked it, but you just don't know. You know, so there are moments of validation that artists obviously need. That's why we do what we do. Uh, You want people to love your work. And so to have simple comments like that, they mean so much to me because it means that that the work we were doing was appreciated. And now the work we continue to do is meaningful to people. Yeah, and and I know, you know, in the industry, that's something that uh, a lot of times you don't hear. You know, consumers go out, they buy their cigars. Uh, you know, you have a, a, you have people that are 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 true, tried and true to specific brands. Whether it's because they, you know, they're an older person, they've been smoking this forever. Um, this was a brand that was introduced to them by their father or their grandfather when they first started getting into it. Um, you know, and a lot of times, you know, there's not that out like that out there. Like I said, when we started, I post on my Instagram account, um, you know, and, and you've responded to some of it, you know, smoking, you know, smoking the Metropolitan tonight. It's fire. Yeah. And, you know, it's this is one of my this is one of my brands that I go to, you know, I I I try to, uh, you know, try those that are out there. And a lot of times I'll try things that, that other people that I, you know, some of the groups that I'm in, you know, somebody will be smoking a specific cigar. Hey, how's that cigar? I, you know, what do you think? Oh, this is great. You should try it. And, you know, you, you, you find it, you try it. Now, you know, like Jeff said, sometimes it's not, you know, it's not something that's for you, but you tried it and you're like, okay, yeah. It just really didn't do anything for me, but it was okay. And then you come on to a brand that somebody recommended you try. It, you're like, damn, where was this this whole time? Where was it? I, I kind of like it. I think of it a lot like the arts, music, theater, sports. There are so many talented people all trying to make a living doing their favorite thing. I mean, think of how many people play sports with dreams of making it big. How many musicians are out there humping it every day? Everyone I went to college with, right? All had dreams of making it big as a, as a musician or as an artist, whatever it is. And then you look at the, at the percentage of ones that actually do, right? So now you've got, there are lots of musicians making a living who we've never heard of and because they're in, let's say, general business bands or whatever, who are still out there doing the work, 
but haven't made it to the level that perhaps they dreamed of making it. And our industry is not that different. There's so many great cigars out there, so many great blends and so many passionate brand owners and, and blenders. And, you know, it's, I find it really exciting when you can discover something new and help shine some light on their story. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's a dream come true for, for an aspiring artist, regardless of the medium, you know, so many incredible chefs making such incredible food that aren't on the food network, you know, or they haven't been reviewed in the New York times or they don't have a Michelin star, but they're doing great work every day, mm -hmm. working their tails off sun up to sundown. Uh, and our business is the same. And, and, you know, I think there, there is a balance to be struck among consumers um, of having your tried and true and having those go-tos. And I'm grateful to be one of those for you, but we're also completely unknown to so many others, you know, I mean, we're in no way are we even close to being mainstream yet. What's been interesting though, is to see this kind of what I early on described as an identity crisis for Ferry Otego has now kind of evolved over time um, because, you know, for some people, they think of Metropolitan, they see Metropolitan with Ferio, and so they think there is this continuation of Nat Sherman, but that's not true. Nat Sherman is gone mm -hmm. in, from the cigar business, of course. Uh, but so for some people, there is a continued arc of consistency that they will always sort of hold on to the nostalgia of Nat Sherman when they pick up Metropolitan. Then you've got this other sort of generation who only knew Nat Sherman post Timeless. So Timeless has been in their awareness for as long as Nat Sherman was. Then you've got now this new generation that started enjoying cigars during COVID, which was after Nat Sherman closed. And so they only know Ferry Otego and Timeless as associated with Ferry Otego without the historical context of where it came from. And so now within this sort of current chapter, uh, every day people are discovering us, only knowing us as this, this brand new brand with this crazy portfolio of all these different blends that they're getting excited about kind of going down the, the rabbit hole of Ferry Otego and, and discovering these nine core blends, the limited blends, all this stuff. It's really been amazing to kind of have all these different consumer populations of, of folks that are, that are resonating with our brand differently, you know, each one of them. So it's been a really interesting, uh, been an interesting couple of years to watch yeah you're grabbing yeah. up a whole different uh, whole, whole different pools of people just coming in together wild you know like i said i do i do appreciate uh that moment in time where you you two got together and said you know what we got to make this happen um you know this is this is too important for it to die where it is we're going to pick up the staff and the banner and we're going to move forward with it, whether it be under, you know, the Ferry Otego brand. But we feel, you know, and a lot of times in any industry, 
you know, you'll have people that really, well, you know, I really don't want to maybe, maybe, uh, you know, risk that. And, you know, who knows, there's countless different, different uh, things that have, that have just faded away because there was nobody to take up the cause. Um, but like I said, I, I appreciate you guys bringing it, bringing it up and saying, you know what, we got to keep this going. Um, I enjoy the blends. Um, you know, both the Metropolitan and the Timeless. Um, and like I said, it's it's one of my go-tos and, and, I, and I really appreciate that. And with that being said, we wish you much success and we're looking forward to seeing all the exciting things that you guys are going to be bringing out of the Ferry Ortego brand. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, can't wait to see what you got coming up next. We're going um, to work hard. Well, that's, that's, you know, that's all we ask. And like I said, in this industry, there's always something for someone, no matter what your taste is, there's always going to be something out there that's, that's going to, you know, it's going to hit, hit a chord with, with the consumer. Um, and, you know, like I said, we just wish you much luck. Can't wait to see what's coming out. Can't wait to see uh, what you're going to be coming up with at the great smoke. Yeah, it's this gonna be year? a good one. <laughs> it's gonna be a good um, one, and I'll, I'll tell you, I, I hope to, I'll let you know next time I'm, I'm in Buffalo because I'd love to meet up with you at. Uh, yeah, I, I'd like to see you. Take you. Uh, have you been to the Orchard house. Park location? I haven't been. Uh, uh, well, but I, I went to the festival. Was that at the? Was that at the shop? Oh no, it was offsite. I had not been right. to the Orchard Park store. I've been okay. downtown and I've been transit. Okay, but I, I'd love to meet you there. There, we have to get um, you to the Orchard Park location. Yeah, that would be great. Those guys have been so supportive. And mm -hmm. next time you go, if you would please send my gratitude, I'd appreciate it. And to the to the folks listening or watching, um, we kind of touched on it earlier, but I would love to ask you the favor of trying our blends. And if you find one that you love, to just take it one step further and share it. Tell a friend, take a photo, tag it, post it. When you amplify your affection for our brand, you're giving that social permission for other people to do it. And it doesn't take a lot to go from where we are today to where we want to be. And the way that happens is by people loving what we do and sharing our work. So if anyone would be willing to do that, even sharing this podcast and posting it on your wall and saying, you know, take an hour and a few and, and listen to the story. Uh, it would certainly mean a lot to me. I'm sure. It would mean a lot to you guys too, to build, yeah. to build up the, the viewership, that simple act of, of sharing and amplifying is a game changer today for building brands. Yeah. Anything, Jeff? Yeah, I, just, I just appreciate uh, Mike coming on. I'm super yeah. grateful for the invitation, man. Yeah. Really, we're we're glad to have you. And like I said, uh, looking forward to you next time you get to uh, to Buffalo. Give me a shout. We'll Sounds meet great. up. And uh, for all those out there listening tonight, like Michael said, give it a shot. Ferry Otago. You have the Metropolitan line. You have the Timeless. Um, try it out. It, we're not saying it, it might be for you or it might not be for you, but you might find something that's been that gem that's been hiding in the rough all that time that you'd say, hey, where has this been my entire my entire journey? Let me uh, tell you, we make in every country. We make in Honduras, we make in Nicaragua and we make in Dominican Republic. We have mellow, we have full, we have sweet, we have it all. So 
take a minute, go to our website, ferriotego.com, look at the descriptions, see if something resonates with you, reach out to me, I'm an easy guy to find, ask any questions you have, and I'd love to point you in a direction to make sure that you taste the right thing. We will have that in the show notes, the, the link to Ferry Otago. Um, and uh, yeah, give it a try. I'm, I, I am personally going to tell you, I don't think that you'd be disappointed in it. So with that being it. said, we, we thank you for joining us tonight. We thank you for listening tonight to the podcast. Uh, subscribe and share and share the uh, Ferry Otago uh, brand. And uh, we look forward to uh, joining you on the next podcast. Enjoy your cigars, stay smoky, and we'll be seeing you next time. Cheers.